It is I, Jason. How are you, Chris Black? Namaste, Big TJ. Um, welcome back to the motherland, the lower 48, um, you know, where life is, is good and only getting better. How are you? I got to say, I just realized right before we started recording that I am I am recording from my home for the first time in a week. It feels like feels like forever, but it feels great to be in my house recording with a microphone stand that I don't have to hold the mic and my pop filter and my external monitor. It's all here. I feel at home. I hold my mic, as you know, because I'm more of an artist. You know, I approach it a little differently than you. Yeah. No, no singer or musical artist has ever used a mic stand. The only people who actually usually are comedians, your favorite. I keep breaking them. You know what I mean? That's the problem. <laughs> so that's why, that's kind of why I had to move on from that. You have um, a bombastic style where you're always breaking the equipment and it's, it is starting to add up. Yeah, I was, I, I posted for, for our, our last one-on-one episode that went up um, on Monday, I shared a photo of me recording from Hawaii and it said studio reveal. Yes. But unfortunately, most people thought that that was actually my house where I record every episode <laughs> of the show. Damn. They were like, Chris is really treating you bad. <laughs> <laughs> people really thought that it was my house but it was not i record in a normal room on a chair at a desk not not in a closet on the north shore of hawaii just wanted to clear that up you guys thank you i love i love doing a little house cleaning here at the top of the program you know what i mean um we have more if you want to get into it chris i have so much to not- clean <laughs> You're all good. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm all set on any of your little house cleaning shit. We got we have breaking news here. Tiger Woods oh, flipped shit. his whip. What? Tiger Woods gone off the perkies. I would I would guess um, again after that. Well, I mean, look, if you just had a hit piece go up and you can't win a tournament, no, I, I don't know for sure, but he did. <laughs> it wasn't a hit piece. That was a defending piece. He he apparently flipped flipped the the SUV in in Palos Verdes. I think so. In PV. Oh. I mean, maybe not PV, but somewhere like that, like Rancho, something. I don't mm-hmm, know, some part mm-hmm. of some some suburb of LA that I ain't ever been to before. You know what I mean? He found out the Trump course was closed, and he got so <laughs> fucking pissed. He, he rolled. He rolled the the Jeep Patriot. It's a custom Patriot. What do you, <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Do you, what do you think? No, I think he. I think he probably drives something dumb, like an Escalade, like a car you shouldn't drive yourself. No, he's he's definitely got the. Uh, whatever like the mercury version of the lincoln town car he's got like a buick mm. suv because well of, he like, gets a that deal for that free yeah but he probably gives that to like his his fucking nanny or his mate well not his nanny he gives her the high hard one if you know what i'm saying but he probably <laughs> he probably gives he probably gives the cheeky he probably, dog <laughs> cheeky dog he probably, he probably gives the suv away to some member of his staff you know what i mean um as, mm-hmm. a, as a holiday present although i'm sure he's not a great boss but anyway you know hopefully he's they had to use the jaws of life so maybe it's serious what yeah tiger damn bro that sucks i feel bad for him big tigger just can't keep it on the rails bro um but, it's tough when we can blame his father for this of course yeah i mean i think that's that's the best course of action here mm-hmm. i mean that's what that's what everybody else does you know what i mean yeah speaking of docs i, I finally caught that woody allen have you hear, have you seen this woody allen guy you know what no we, can, I don't, we don't have I, to we don't have to talk about it we can wait until it all comes out if you want i just don't care i don't think i'm gonna watch it like i just am like i think everybody involved is such a fucking scab that i'm just like this is all bad i don't care is there any new information is the real question i I guess you because you were talking about how mia farrow is has kind of gone off the rails recently Uh, yeah not recently i would say for 20 years but yeah right 
So, I mean, but I guess the documentary, I watched the first one last night, and I guess, you know, you could make an argument that she has lost the plot mentally a bit because of Woody Allen fucking her Oh, totally, kids. totally. So, you know, her, her, but she doesn't come off as a crazy person at all, really. She actually comes off well, pretty... Well, she, she's an actress, Jason, let's not forget. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. But I mean, they, I think... They paint, the, I, they paint a pretty good picture for Woody Allen being, like really bad yeah of course i mean he is like that's the thing that's what i mean but we've all known that for 25 years and it, and it comes up and goes away it comes up it goes away you know what i mean so like i don't yeah, know but when when a woody allen movie comes out i'm i look forward to watching it and after watching this documentary that that has changed well good the perfect timing for you then because he's not gonna he, he hasn't made a good movie in 15 years so <laughs> do you've not been, come for a clear. cafe society bitch that was no I'm, I'm all set on that <laughs> i'm all i'm all i'm all g no with woody i'll, I'll watch I'll, I'll gladly enjoy an awful woody allen film no no problem midnight in paris we want owen wilson walking around going wow <laughs> picasso <laughs> this is a picasso was here I didn't know you could do it, Owen Wilson. Do the wow one more time for us. Wow! <laughs> everyone, everyone can do an Owen Wilson wow. That's the easiest impression. I've never. That's I've UCB never tried that. day one. I'm sorry. I stick to the two impersonations I'm very good at, which is Kermit the Frog and mm-hmm. um, Bar- Barney from The Simpsons, because they go into a similar. They come from a similar guttural place for me. Chris, that is actually kind of interesting. The juxtaposition of those two. I would love 1,500 words on on your medium <laughs> well, about that. I hate I, I hate The Simpsons because it's actually not funny or like as irreverent mm-hmm. as people want it to be, and it's animated. Um, Kermit is a certified legend. I wish he wouldn't have done the Supreme thing, but what are you going to do? You know, it's a different time. <laughs> We all need I like a check. That you're referring to Kermit as an actual human who like makes business. Bro, we decisions. all need a check. We all need a check. Sometimes we all do it for the check. Sometimes, and that's okay. But Chris, you know, that's but totally I, my main takeaway: you should watch the Woody shit because it is it's wild. I mean, I, I I knew about some of the stuff, but I didn't know about all of it. Well, how much is how much is Ronin in it? Very little. Okay, that that makes me want to watch it more. I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll eventually watch it. I mean, I you're, just don't. You're definitely going to watch it. It's 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 salacious AF. It's it's all there. It's got everything you need. I I just also yeah. I mean, I I also just don't know if if like I need to personally really dive into the sordid details of that. Like, I don't. Do I need that information? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't. No. Yeah. Nobody needs it, but it's you know no nobody needs to look at a car accident on the side of the 405 but don't talk about tiger like that in his time of need i'd be looking you'll put the black flies down low on your nose <laughs> and watch them watch the world burn i will tilt my saying? flies down if it's if it's about to be some blood um you know i got into this on um in the in the public announcement newsletter this week but i um this morgan wallen thing keeps blowing my mind <laughs> well he's the number one selling artist of 2021 now <laughs> and and i just i but but more i, I don't even I, that doesn't surprise me because fans are fans and i don't think fans actually care about what anybody does if they like the music especially like no offense to our country music listeners but that's not the smartest fan base out there you know oh. what i mean those aren't the most critical thinking you know those aren't the people that that maybe are, are delving into you know institutional racism in their free time yeah um, we talked about this on the last episode but you know as a member of team breezy i can relate you can relate but i think that the the, the greatest takeaway for me is that his record label big loud which is uh, should be a 
<laughs> a hip hop uh, should be a hip hop label. I'm very concerned. Yeah, I don't he's, know. He's days away from getting that. I'm getting a cookies collab, y'all. But it's just, it's just, I love it because they distance themselves and they're publicly like, we are, we no longer work with Morgan Wallen, but they own the motherfucking album that's making them all this money. Mm-hmm. So it, it's truly the dream for a record label. They can virtue signal and get all of the love from the country music community. Like they're distancing themselves from this problematic singer. We can't be associated with this, but the bank account's still growing mm-hmm. and people just don't. I, I don't, people don't seem to think about this, but this is what I was told about Ariel Pink as well. Yeah. So I think it's a similar, a similar case. And also a similar case to what you, to what we were just talking about with Woody Allen, where I think you sent me a link saying, you know, Woody Allen documentary is playing on HBO full takedown painting him has this absolute monster while HBO also has six of his films currently available to stream six of his films streaming five of those with me a Pharaoh in them. So it's a little <laughs> bit, it's just crazy, dude. It's crazy. I mean, I don't, again, I don't, this to me is just something interesting because money is what makes the world go around and no one truly cares about anything except money. If you really get to the, the bottom of it. But I think that it's more just like we believe in corporations and we expect stuff from them. And you have to remember they're ne- they don't care about you and they're never going to give you what you want. In- unless, it's um, a place to enter your credit card number so they can receive your payment. Unless they can wet their beak, it ain't going to happen for you. Yeah, it's just, it's just, those are three prime examples in entertainment specifically where it's like, oh, you're just talking out of both sides of your mouth and no one really seems to care. Like, no one's going to, no one's going to cancel their HBO Max subscription. You know what I mean? No one gives a shit. Like, no, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop using Spotify because they didn't take down Ariel Pink's albums. Like, it's just, everybody's so self righteous and not really doing shit. Except tweeting. Mm-hmm. Even these big companies. Even these big companies. It's crazy. Let us pave the way and lead by example. I'm gonna stop watching so many Woody Allen movies. Thank you, Jason, for that. And I'm I have the journey I, begins look, with one step. Just FYI, I have deleted Morgan Wallen from um, my Apple Music and Spotify personal playlists. Um, and <laughs> I it, this it, this is Morgan is gone. Yeah, this is Morgan is gone. It felt like <laughs> it felt like being baptized. You know what I mean? It felt like. My sins were being washed away, and you know I had a twelve pack of Coors Light on the table. I was able to resist it. O- overall, it's been positive Congrats, for me. Brother. But I, I just, you know, I just love, you know, I just love gazing at the entertainment and media industries and making these um, obvious yet astute observations. That's what mm-hmm. we do here on how on how long gone, right, yeah. Jason? We make it look easy, like the music of the Sex Pistols. It's it's hiding in plain sight, isn't it? And we we're there to uncover those stones. Are are you the same way? Like when you go for a vacation, you leave town for a while. When you return, you kind of need like 24 hours of a little bit of a buffer before you wish so you don't burn up on entry that you don't have to do that right no bro i'm just fucking it's full till cb goes wherever he needs to go (laughs) and he's on time and he makes it look good and i no, i do know Well, maybe all maybe we can we can ask our guest about this who probably knows a little little bit about the road more so but yeah more so than us i'm 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 I'm, I'm personally going through a little bit of a shaking things up on entry like i'm my my sleep schedule is a little messed up i'm getting getting back into the groove i'm doing my laundry and you know it's nice of you to give your cleaning lady the week off just so you can feel like a human being again and like do your own laundry i think that's smart that'll help you re-enter you want to know something funny the our cleaning lady is literally here right now cleaning <laughs> cleaning the house because my life partner scheduled a, a house cleaning the day after we arrive and the day after we 
adopted a new dog. Okay, we're not going to talk about the dog because I don't care. Um, but we can get into it. We can get into it later. We, we do. We do though. We do have a guest today. Um, a, a, a Grammy nominated artist. Um, a member of the of the band. Uh, how long on favorite Big Thief? Um, he just put out a solo album, Two Saviors. Uh, his name is Buck Meek. Texas his own. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the coolest names I've ever heard. Maybe I don't know. I don't know where you stand on that. And I think it's a real his real name. It is his real name. But his um, second best Meek musician on Spotify right now. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I would agree. He, um, his solo record, his, his solo record is great. Uh, obviously his work with Big Thief is great. You're probably familiar with that. Um, I think he is a true road dog. So I'm sure this, this pandemic has been throwing a, uh, a, a branch in his spokes. Um, not able to, not able to hit the road because the record came out. You know, his his solo record came out during the cursed COVID nineteen virus. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's just got a very interesting style of guitar playing. Just, just seems like a cool cat, to be honest. I love talking to people who have toured at every level, you know, from full on like busking to a car, to a van, to a bus, to maybe even now. I mean, honestly, Big Thief might be touching down every once in a while in the, in the plane. It's very possible. Damn, that's the name of our new Spotify show called From Bus to Busk. That's a good idea. Don't give that away for free. All right, let's, uh, let's give Buck a, a jingle and we'll talk to him shortly. Yeah, Jason's an Ableton master. I have my DJ software that I'll be able to line it up. <laughs> Nice. It's, called, it's called beat matching, Buck. I could teach you a little something about it. Uh, Buck, thank you for thank you for joining us. Are you are you in New York right now? No, I'm in Topanga Canyon, California, my house. Wait, you I live in Topanga? Were... Yeah, I live in Topanga Canyon. I didn't know that. For some reason, I thought I just did. You, is that a recent move, or is that where you've always been? I actually been here for two and a half years now. I kind of slipped out of New York unnoticed. Me, me too. Actually, me too. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel the same way. We're down, I'm down the street, but I think that um, we talked to uh, Rye recently. I, who you might know, who's, who's I think he's your neighbor. Oh yeah, Rye X. Rye the musician, Mike. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a different. There's two Ryes here. There's a really. There's a dude Rye X who I do know who I surf with quite often. Um, he's like an Australian songwriter, and uh, but I don't know Rye Rye Rye, but I know a dude Kyle Crane who plays drums with Rye Rye Rye. Yeah, they have a they, yeah they got they got the crazy crib in Topanga, but he was saying the weather's different. He said it's just a different world up there. Would you is that what attracted you to the neighborhood? Yeah, it's a different world. You get a whole you get all four seasons up here. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, even though you're just like 20 minutes from town. You don't strike me as a guy who goes to town much. Am I wrong there? Yeah. How often do you go into town? Do you mix with the townspeople? Yeah, I go a lot to go find food. I love food so much, and I eat lots of good food there. <laughs> In LA, That's where like, are you? <laughs> okay, okay. Let's get into it. Chief. Let's, yeah, let's go. What are your, what are your spots? Share us. Share, yeah, because share actually, I was, I was doing a little research, and I saw that about five years ago, you did a, you did a list with Brooklyn Vegan about like your favorite breakfast spots and oh, your yeah. favorite swimming holes. Yeah, I did a swimming <laughs> swimming hole one this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're you're a real listicle daddy. So let's get into some <laughs> LA grinds. Yeah. Um, well, I've been kind of a disciple of Jonathan Gold ever since I moved here. I don't know if you know Jonathan Gold, the food writer. Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I've we're, been. Jason, we're also, I'm, I'm also a disciple. Nice. I want to give you. I, I want to give you full disclosure before we get into this. Jason is a a member of the L.A. food community. He's oh, very yeah. well versed. So I I am more of a novice, but I, I just want you to have full disclosure going into this list. You know, nice. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, of course, I've been hitting all the Jonathan Gold spots I can that are still open, but I've also been trying to explore the san fernando valley in particular since it's just right down the mountain from me um mm-hmm. with with the spirit of jonathan gold so i've been finding some great spots there's this one joint called baja sub that is 
It's like an old what? it's like an old sub shop in a strip mall, but this Sri Lankan family bought it maybe like 10 years ago and chose to keep the name to like respect the heritage of the neighbor, like the neighborhood heritage. <laughs> so it just says Baja Sub. That's cool. And like oh, yeah, yeah. says Baja nothing Sub about Sub Sri Lankan food. Delhi. Yeah, and they and they still make subs too and like for the old timers, you know. And uh they also have Mexican food. Wow. But like it's really owned by a Sri Lankan family and they make the most incredible Sri Lankan food there. So you can get um, okay. you can get a you can get like a sub sandwich, you can get Mexican food or you can get some some Sri Lankan food yeah, in the yeah. same place. Exactly. Like yeah. I can get I can get a curry goat roti, uh an Italian uh hoagie yeah. on wheat <laughs> yeah, this, and a breakfast taco. This is impressive. Yeah, it really like yeah, it sums up what I love about this city in one place. There's also a joint called um Kobe Factory. It's a Syrian restaurant owned by all these Syrian grandmas. It's amazing. And uh, I just found a badass Jamaican food restaurant last night called Jamafo. Jamafo. Damn, bro. You literally, you just put me onto three places that I have never heard of. Nice. You're out here, So you're getting deep. I'm getting deep. So yeah, Kobe Factory, a Middle Eastern unpretentious counter service restaurant in Van Nuys. (laughs) Yeah, and if you go to Kobe Factory, definitely get the Kobe. Get their name. They have all, you know, a lot of what you've probably heard of before, but the Kobe is a Syrian specialty that's so good. Kobe spelled with two E's for our listeners at home. Yeah. Wow, that's a... Damn, bro. I didn't know. So are you cooking as well, or are you more of a restaurant guy? I've been cooking a lot, actually. I've been trying to get into Japanese cooking during this pandemic. I just... My, my partner got me a donabi for Christmas. Oh, I'm yes, like, you know, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a couple yeah. friends who have gotten super into that, and it's like... Nice. They went through some. We were we were barbecuing on it a lot with the with like the. It's not oh, charcoal. Yeah. It's like the wood the sticks. One. Yeah, the smoker. I want they have that all, one. They have like four or five of them. Cause, yeah, I don't have the smoker because they yet. also look nice, nice on the counter. You know what I mean? They look. They're pretty. so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. They're nice such to a, sit them out. It's like a sculpture. I, I just got the rice cooker, so I've been trying to perfect sushi rice, and I've been making sashimi mm. and making hot pots and and just like the classic donabi home style cooking with like whole fish and. Um, but my, I think my two favorite foods are Japanese food and Texas barbecue. So I've been trying to to <laughs> Damn, synchronize bro. those two things. I've been, I've been smoking a lot of ribs during this pandemic and what kind of perfecting fuck? my own smoked rib <laughs> recipe, and then combining that with with like all the the pickles and like you know the, the vegetable mm-hmm. world of, of Japanese cooking because they cook so well together. That's been one of my favorite bowls to make in quarantine. Not to get too nerdy, but I love the combination of. A proper smoked barbecue rib yeah. with white sushi rice and a bunch of pickled vegetables. That that yes. together is such a nice bite. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's this barbecue restaurant in Austin, Texas, where I'm from called, well, it's, it's, there's a restaurant called Loro that was started by Aaron Franklin of Franklin's Barbecue and the mm-hmm. dude who, who runs Uchi, I forgot his name. And it's like, yeah, it's a synthesis of Texas barbecue and like all kinds of Southeast Asian food. And it's so good. You got to go there. So Buck, you don't you don't look you look like a slender cat. How are we burning these cows? I feel like you're hitting you're you're hitting the waves. You must be surfing a lot because yeah, I've been spending a lot of time in the ocean. Yeah, I can see the collarbones. <laughs> yeah, collarbones yeah. are exposed. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been surfing a lot during this pandemic. It's been such a blessing to have all this time here, and uh, especially when it first hit and the beaches were closed. After six p.m., the lifeguard would leave, and me and like three locals would sneak into the break at Topanga Beach and, and just have it all to ourselves for like four months, which was such a such a dream. That's great. Like the only time in history that there's been three people out there on a good day. So that was sort of night surfing then as well? Yeah, for, well, for like sunset surfing into the evening. Okay. And, and then the bioluminescent tide came through for a week 
in the summer or whenever that was. And don't sleep on that. Yeah, there was this red tie with this bioluminescence that like lit up neon blue whenever the waves would crash. And so I was out there surfing at midnight on the full moon during the bioluminescence for that whole week, which was mind blowing. Shit. What is it about you that instilled this ability to just make such a good situation out of a bad situation? Because we've had so many guests on the show mm. who are just sort of like re- recounting their hell life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's always seemed pretty obvious to me just through observing um, the human experience that so much of the beauty in the world comes from like, resilience and in re- like some in response to tragedy or having to overcome something is pretty much the source of most good art. Is that uh, is that instilled in you by by your your family, friends, nature, nurture? What do you think? I think all of all of the above. Yeah, just I think that everybody, every single person, and every living thing goes through that process. You know, of having to yeah overcome and yeah find find peace and find like transcendence in whatever their experience may be and sometimes they don't you don't you don't realize you're doing it but everybody's doing it you know in their own way maybe i should uh, shouldn't be so hard on myself thanks buck mm-hmm. i mean i feel like you probably had um you in particular more than me and jason had a lot of big plans this year i feel like there's probably yeah a lot a lot of stuff going on for you um no chris i i cleaned out the rain gutters <laughs> and i got <laughs> I, I did a lot of shit. All right, not to not to discount Jason from your uh, trim painting in Glendale, but I just you know I feel like I, I feel like uh-huh. it looks good. Your your album was not slated for release this year, Jason. So we'll have to we'll have to wait. But I, I just yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like so I imagine you had some big touring plans that that were quickly canceled. Correct? Yeah, everything was canceled. We Big Thief was going to go on like a our first Japanese tour, Asian tour, and we were Ooh. playing the Ryman Auditorium and like. We were going all over Europe again, and and then of course I was releasing my record and planning on touring around the world with that. And so yeah, it was a real challenge to let go of all that and to also release an album in a time where I, where I can't share that with with a live community. And mm-hmm. it's it's been super vulnerable. But yeah, I guess to answer your question in all seriousness, I think that I don't. Know, it's made it very obvious that the only thing I can really do is is surrender to that. And the easiest way to do that for me is to just go to the opposite of the extreme and just spend as much time in nature as I can and just try to really embrace this rare opportunity to be alone and like spend some time with myself and write and just to release the album for instance in the true sense of the word and release it and like actually let it go and start working on a new one immediately instead of this cycle of like releasing an album and then having to play those songs for a year on the road which is the pattern I've followed for eight or nine years now and it's I I try I'm trying to look at it as a, a special opportunity to to just work on new things. We're we're big big thief fans. We've been following you guys for a while, and obviously, Jason and I come from like a punk and hardcore background, so we understand touring and like how you do that at every different level, which I feel like you've 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 experienced and done for a very long time. So this must feel extra extra new and strange to have this thing come out and not instantly be gone for three months. You know, it's it's just yeah, it's a, crazy. a shock to the system. It's po- yeah, but it's polarizing because on some levels it feels like a really needed respite. Like I. It's been really healthy for me to take a take a breath from that lifestyle and to just focus on cooking for the first time in like seven years, you know, and <laughs> um, and yeah, to focus on my just yeah physical my my health and my, my and reading. I've read so many books in, or like I've read as much as I can in this time, which I rarely have an opportunity to do. And but simultaneously, it's really vulnerable and weird. You sure. you mentioned that you have a lot of uh, uh, opportunities now to go out into nature, be alone with yourself, etc. But you also mentioned you had a partner. How do you how do you balance that? Are you do you have a hard time or an easy time setting up alone time? Well, actually, my partner 
lives in the Netherlands at the moment. She's trying to move here as soon as possible, but everything's kind of frozen. Smart man. Yeah, everything, the whole immigration world is frozen. So there's a lot of built-in alone time. But when we are together, our our lives are very much in tune. She, mm-hmm. I think we, we have a, a similar balance of like needing to focus and to, to work and also to spend a lot of time exploring. And yeah, it's pretty in tune. Beautiful when you get two people who can do that. Yeah, I'm lucky. You are lucky. Yeah, she wants to be. She might be an astronaut, so she she empathizes with the touring lifestyle. She's wait, to what? Be an astronaut right now? What? Yeah. Hold on. What? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean planning to be an astronaut? That means working towards her astronautical degree. Like, what do we mean yeah. by that? Well, she's been she's a scientist, and she's been working in science okay. for the last for a long time. But she's she's now applying to the European European Space Agency astronaut program, and she has no idea if she'll. Damn. You know, it's it's just kind of like a she's just winging it, but we'll see. <laughs> Damn! How does it does, does does that make you feel excited, scared, worried, happy? What's going What's going on in your head when Bay is an astronaut? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> you definitely don't have to, to look over your shoulder when you're checking the DMs because Shorty's in space. But uh, you know, there's yeah, a safety I mean, issue. Oh, is she out of town? Yeah. yeah, she's like really out of town. Like she's on Mars, actually. Yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, she's on Mars. Yeah, I'll just. I'm a, I would plan my tours around it, but I would just go on tour when she's in space, and you know, <laughs> it actually probably simplify things a lot. That's a great idea. Yeah, I feel like I'm interviewing Grimes right now. Like, yeah, yeah, whenever Elon has to go to Mars or whatever, then I'll just do. I'll just do Coachella then, and. Yeah, exactly. I really do want to be the first band in space, though. I've always said that with Big Thief. I I, I want Big Thief to be the first band in space. First concert in space, so I got I got an in now. I feel like, yeah, I was about to say I feel like you might be closer than other people, except maybe like Kanye West, who's putting the time with Elon. But I mean, yeah, yeah, it just depends on how it shakes out. You know, it depends on how it shakes out. But you're you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Luckily, we have a good relationship with Spotify. I'm sure you guys know <laughs> Spotify as well, but we can kind of let them know that that's an interest of yours. It's yeah, on yeah, your yeah. mood board, and see if we can yeah, push that yeah. through. So let's get into let's get into your touring history a little bit because I I feel like we've I feel like you really started in the gutter. Like you might have toured in a car. Is that oh, yeah. is that is that safe to say? I actually so- started touring on a bicycle. Yeah. Come on, bro. You're gonna... Okay, so <laughs> what, what city were you in when you were on a bicycle? I really did. Now, I, my well, actually, no. My first tour was in a broken truck. I, I went to the Berkeley College of Music, and the day I graduated, I I found this old sh- this old Toyota four wheel drive on Craigslist in like Air- Flagstaff, Arizona. And I I like sent the dude a thousand bucks on PayPal and flew to Tucson and like took a Greyhound to Flagstaff or whatever, and bought this old Damn. Toyota truck, and then took it to Texas and picked up my band, and we went on this tour from texas to we were supposed to get to oregon but we we only made it to colorado we broke down like five times and um that was my first tour my second tour was on a bicycle uh with this group called the pleasant revolution it was like this kind of third wave ska band from california like you know from california called the ginger ninjas and uh and i got the gig playing playing six string bass in the ska band and we we had this pedal powered sound system and we toured across whoa, whoa, whoa. across Europe for six months on these bicycles with these pedal powered speakers, and we play shows like on the beach. All like everyone's naked, like a thousand people naked on the beach. <laughs> what? Um, buck, buck, and, buck, 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 buck. And we play moving concerts. You, you slow down, you, slow buck, down. You just buck, said a lot. Of, you just said a lot of things right now. Yeah, that you was just a said wild a whole combo. Podcasts worth of material. Yeah, I'm not familiar. So. <laughs> okay, so a third wave ska band from California pedal powered musical pa system yeah playing for nude crowds not always nude but often nude. <laughs> we, there was this thing called like the world naked bike ride that was making its way across europe so like 
yeah, we, we would have these moving concerts and these critical masses with, with like a mm. couple thousand people naked on bicycles rolling through London or Berlin. And, and we had the speakers on the bikes with generators. So like uh-huh. I would be sitting on there playing the bass and, and we, we moved across the year for six months like that. And uh, that, was, that was really fun. And the, si- the six string bass. Yeah. What, what do you get from the six string? Is that, is that an influence from Korn, the band Korn? <laughs> yeah. What no, I just, I'd never played the bass before. And I went to Guitar Center the day, like the day before I got. I like flew to San Francisco and I was just like, I'll take that one. I'll, I'll take the six string bass. Like that makes sense. Right. Cause I'm a guitar player. And right, then right, right. you're used to six strings. And of course it's so silly. And then when we were in Europe, I, we, we played some festival in Germany and no effects was headlining. No effects was like my favorite band when I was 13. Let's and, go. Uh, yes. You know, Let's and go. so I, I like, I was in the fucking front row and I had a, I had a, a badge. So I went backstage to, to meet fat Mike. And like, I had my six string bass on my back and I was like, fat Mike, Will you sign my six-string bass? Will you sign my bass? And he looked at it and he's like, "No, I'm not going to sign your fucking six-string bass. Like, get that thing out of my face." <laughs> uh, Said, "I'm not going to sign the Ibanez for you, okay? Not tonight. Wow. That's really not going to do it. That's yeah. really funny. Wow. I mean, wow. I mean, you know, even though I grew up with a straight edge background, I did find myself listening to punk and Drublick. Mm, same. Oh, yeah. Too many times, buddy. Same." The decline. Damn, bro. Okay, well, are you a member of the nude community, Buck? If you don't know asking. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> You've moved on. I do. You've grown. Don't be bashful. I do walk around my, my yard naked sometimes. I'm, I bet my neighbors see me, but it's not, you know. Well, that's pretty normal for Topanga, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, I was about, yeah that's, not, that's not a red flag up there. It's different. A lot of hog in the canyon. Or I have an outdoor shower, so I just, you know, sometimes I run out there and everything, but that's about it. Topanga living is good. Yeah, honestly, I, these the, between you and Rye, Topanga, besides the spotty Wi-Fi and the cell signal, it's sounding pretty great. You know, for everything yeah. else, adds up. Um, so after the bike tour, do you come back? Is do you go to New York? When do you go to New York? Yeah, after the bike tour, I yeah basically went to New York, and that's when I met I met Adrienne. We started we started just writing together on our stoop, playing guitar together for like a year and writing all these intricate guitar parts and like starting to write songs. I was working all kinds of jobs around New York to save up cash and uh, like mostly construction and stuff. And deconst- I had this great job working deconstruction for this green, <laughs> this green building warehouse. They would like, I was on the team. We'd go out and deconstruct like those old wooden water towers on the top of the skyscrapers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'd like take apart the marble lobbies of skyscrapers in Midtown. One time we took apart this entire library in at Columbia University. Whoa. Um, like this beautiful oak li- physics library with all these great bookshelves and to resell the materials. Um, so I was just working jobs like that for the first couple of years living in New York and playing with Adrienne, like playing every little house show we could and also playing a bunch of klezmer music with my friends, singing my own songs in basements and stuff. And just part of a super rich community there in New York yeah. City at the time. All of our like, yeah, just incredible, incredible bands. Klezmer music, you say, Buck? Yeah. Well, I grew up playing a lot of Romanian music and Manoush jazz, like the music of Django Reinhardt and Old mm-hmm. Swing and stuff like that. And uh, and I got wrapped up with some some klezmer musicians. My friend Adam Moss and David Moss they, they play a lot of klezmer music, so they kind of wrapped me into their scene. Once I got to New York, a bit easy to get wrapped up in the klezmer scene, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I just yeah. kind of dipped my my toe in, but a convincing crowd for the most part. It was just me, like an Adrian playing playing a bunch of basement shows with all kinds of wild experimental bands, and then we quit our jobs and bought this old Chevy van, like an '87. Yeah, and just booked every little show we could around the country just pulled every favor we could and like played parties and barbecues and empty bars down to texas and back a few times 
that's kind of where it all started. But you guys went to school together. You didn't know each other at school, right? Yeah, we never met at Berkeley. Actually, we did. We met in Boston through the, the first time we met. I had a band called Mob Tet that was like a like New Orleans kind of brass band. And we opened for Adrienne's band at the time. After I had graduated, she was still in school. And my band opened for hers at a house party called The Mothership in Jamaica Plain. And and we like really made an impression on each other that night. Like we met very briefly mm-hmm. on stage, but we both really loved each other's sets. And like, and then three years later, when she moved to New York, I ran into her at the corner store the first day she rolled up. And like we recognized each other from the mothership, and that's how we you know the conversation started. So what goes on at Berkeley? Like what's the vibe there? Because I feel like you know yeah, and Berkeley Berkeley School of Music, not Berkeley. The California University. Yeah, Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Yeah, because I, I feel like, I mean, I've, I've known a handful of people in my life who've gone there, and then obviously, you know, John Mayer went there or whatever for a semester. You know, yeah. it, goes all, it goes all the way down the line. But I, I just feel like a school like that, it, it must be difficult with enrollment because I feel like everyone there is very, very talented and really doesn't care about being in school. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that's the, yeah, yeah. that's the feeling I would get because people are so talented. And there's such a clear path away from that to like be a professional musician. Or am I, am I wrong in assuming that? What makes somebody have Berkeley material outside of just being, you know, gifted at music naturally? People are drawn there for, for so many different reasons. But the thing that I was, I don't know, my experience there in the community I built was more like, Kids who grew up playing jazz, for instance, who got deep into jazz at home for whatever reason. Like for me, it was because I got wrapped into this community of old timers in the Texas Hill Country who played like Western Swing with Bob Wills and like with Merle Haggard and all these old timers playing pedal steel and, you know, electric guitar, like at parties at three in the morning, like in ice houses with people getting in fights and, you know, like, like real. The real shit. What's your, what's your pedal steel game like? I don't actually play the pedal steel, but I've been working really hard during this quarantine to try to mimic it on the guitar, just playing compound bends and like volume swells on the telly. Um, but I've never touched the pedal. I need to get in there. But uh, long story short, I came from this kind of breathing, like living experience with jazz, which drew me to Berkeley. I thought I wanted to study jazz. And I think a lot of kids come from that. You know, they grew up in Chicago or something and or they, you know, whatever. They fall in love with the romance of 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 jazz and the old world of jazz and then they get to berkeley and they're immediately in this existential crisis of like finding themselves suddenly in a really stiff institutional environment that's like you know uh synthesizing all of the elements of jazz into it's not so jazzy after all is what you're saying yeah it's it's just you know which is totally valid but like the community that i became a part of was basically all these kids who grew up with that who then are suddenly just at berkeley and have no no idea like how they fit in and then they just start making music together after hours like in their dorm at two in the morning and like writing really weird songs together and trying to play rock and roll to like deal with their angst you know and all of the like experimental music and rock and roll that comes from that community at berkeley is so cool for that reason yeah and i had to i mean i i've had i found my way the first year or two it, it it took me a while to find the professors that I really resonated with, but there are some incredible professors there, though. Um, I mean, I think there's something like 150 guitar teachers or something like that, but but there's some really heavy cats there. I, I eventually found this dude, David Tronzo, who's a really wild like slide guitar player. He came from like the kind of experimental New York scene in the 80s and 90s, and um, he he took me under his wing at, at Berkeley and really like opened my eyes. So yeah, but I had to kind of shape my own experience there. It took me a minute to realize that, that if you, you know you can you really have to kind of create your own reality at Berkeley to get get what you want out of it. 
I mean, you have a very wild style of playing guitar. I'm no expert, but it seems mm. like a something that was formed at a very young age, and then maybe that Berkeley sauce was put on top of it, and there was like a more technical aspect added in. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Because did you yeah. teach yourself, or was it like a mom, dad, like te- like what was? How did you start playing guitar? I was obsessed with the children's musician Raffi, and I would just like. <laughs> play a broom along with Raffi and then my mom put her old Yamaha acoustic in my lap and I would just like strum it open strings on my lap and then my mom actually gave me my first guitar chords and my first she taught me my first songs when I was like six or seven years old and then when I was like 15 living in Wimberley Texas my first job was at this Mexican restaurant Juan Enrique's and I had my guitar at work one day and the bartender was this dude Brandon Gist and he saw my guitar and he took me under his wing and he had this like little shack behind his house around the corner and he had this single old silver faced twin reaver we'd both plug in and and he taught me to play this shuffle and he'd have me just back him up playing texas blues and he he got me my first shows around the hill country like at the ice houses and stuff really wild dirty places and uh one of my jobs in the uh in the band was to kick his amp cuz his silver face would always always fits out and he would be in the middle of a guitar solo and suddenly his amp would start going out and he'd yell, turn around and yell at me and be like, but kick my amp, man, kick my amp. And I would just kick it a couple times until it came back to life, like a few times per show. And uh, that's kind of where it, I came from. Damn, that's a lot cooler than, you know, I learned Wonderwall on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So congrats, congrats, congrats to you on that. Uh, it's, I was it's doing that stuff too. You know, I was learning Sublime and all that, all that good stuff too, it, you know. <laughs> Wow. I, I like that you referred to Sublime and all that good stuff. Just like we were, <laughs> yeah. we were talking about Waylon Jennings and them. <laughs> I was just in Hawaii listening to some Sublime. It really fit the mood nicely. Oh, yeah. I love Sublime. The Sublime bass lines, I was like, damn, these guys are, are low-key taking it for a walk, aren't they? <laughs> they yeah, are ta- They are taking it. They do take it for a walk. Do you play? Sure. So so could you play whatever? Like, are you, can you play the bass, guitar, drums? Like, if you have to, you can, like, sit in? Yeah, I can play. I can play a fool around. I can't play the piano. What? Um, and I can't play. I can't play horn. I really can't play the piano at all. My brother, my younger brother Dylan Meek, is like truly a virtuoso piano. He's like a. So you, so you just a, didn't have to learn. A mad basically. genius. Yeah, I never had to learn the piano. He was always taking care of it for me. Because that, to me, I feel like that's like as as foundational as guitar. But I guess you you put your eggs in one basket. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm starting to play the. I love the drums so much. I, I I got a drum set recently, and I've been practicing. What's I really want to play drums in a band. What's the pro? What's the process like right now? Are you now with Big Thief? Do you guys write together, or is it like everybody writes alone and then brings the ideas to the table? Adrian actually writes the seeds of the songs for the most yeah. part. She'll she'll bring in the lyrics and melody, and um, and then we arrange them together. And sometimes we'll kind of edit the the song mm-hmm. a bit, but for the most part, it's just like writing our parts together and. Um, arranging the songs, produce, co-producing them. You know, the live show, I feel like, is something for me. I, I, it struck me so much as like you guys bringing a true like late '90s house show energy to like national television, which nice. I think I think it speaks. <laughs> it speaks to people that had that experience. I think it really speaks to them in this way, where it's like it feels like this thing could fall apart at any time, but it somehow stays on the rails. Um, it doesn't always stay on the rails. It doesn't always stay on the rails. <laughs> Trust me, it does fall apart. It's not. <laughs> uh, but I think that the I think that that my point is that I, I, I just haven't seen something like that kind of 
appeal or at least cross over into this like mass world that you guys kind of have been able to do. Um, yeah. I think I think it's more of a testament to the songs than anything else, but particularly the live show, like seeing that you know on on a late night show or like a you know an NPR kind of thing. It's um it really brings me back, and I feel like it might do that for a lot of people. Um, Hell yeah! And it's just you know, and you guys also look like you're having fun, which I think is like <laughs> strangely rare these days. You know what I mean? People want to be so, yeah. so. You guys, you guys look like you're enjoying it, which I think is a and the looks. Let's talk about the looks because you guys got collectively you guys have a wild a wild (laughs) vibe going on so i just you know i need to understand so i mean i I just is that ever something's been discussed or do you guys just fucking show up and this is what we do (laughs) i think at some point we've all tried to get each other to dress like ourselves and it it just blows up in our face at one point i tried to get everybody to wear suits and that blew up in my face so fast (laughs) and i think adrian tried to get max to like not wear he like wears tights with like socks and sandals a lot, which is, you know, that's his style. And, um, but yeah, it just very quickly we realized that we just had to be ourselves it was the only way. No, it feels mm-hmm. that's that, but that's what I like about it so much is that it feels like, like four people that like found each other on Craigslist. And like, I guess we're doing yeah. this now. Like, I fuck it. <laughs> like, we're a band, dude. <laughs> You look like you smell bad, but I know you smell good, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. My favorite look is is the, I remember my favorite style when James Kivchenia for the whatever, the Colbert show or whatever, just like he had an old t-shirt on, he just took a pair of scissors and cut it right down the middle. Like, up. <laughs> so then it was like, what? That was my favorite look. <laughs> we, were t- we, were t- we were talking about this earlier. Like he, I mean, he, he particularly, I mean, drums to me is like something that, when played he, like the style that he brings to that is is maybe the best i've ever seen like it, there's one guy yeah. that was in bands in atlanta where i was growing up that was in a band called some soviet station that like will forever be ingrained in my mind is like the coolest of all time but it was yeah you, if you can i mean he looks like he's literally not trying at all and it's perfect and it's it's just really it's inspiring you know effortlessness is is tough to come by these days yeah, it's super inspiring to me, too. I've learned so much from observing James Kripchenia. Yeah, he actually makes incredible electronic music um, okay. under his under his own name, James Kripchenia, and play, yeah, plays a lot of synth, and, and he plays guitar. He also had some kick-ass rock bands back in New York whenever we were coming up, like a band called Happy You and The Bears. Yeah, he had a bunch of like rock bands growing up as a kid in Chicago, like The Dogs and uh, Broken Parasite. And, the Dogs and, and, the, the, dogs the, dogs and the, bears. the Bears. I was about to say, that's, that's two yeah. good names, to be honest. Those are two good names. For sure. Great names. Un- you can't argue with those names. I love the Chicago Dogs and the Chicago Bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I like both. For those sure. are the, unfortunately that you know if, if that would have taken off, I think you would have had some um, you know he would have had some uh, Google result issues. But other than that, the names are hitting. You know, yeah, dog. Yeah, dogs is a little vague. Well, um, you 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 recorded your record in New Orleans. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Can you sell somebody who might not like <laughs> New Orleans that much? on on the magic of it so for example like if my co-host chris was not a big fan of new or- new orleans you know he's not a big drinker you know that he doesn't like you know southern fatty foods and things like that mm-hmm. you know what what might you know do they have a good acai scene <laughs> yeah what is the, what brought you down there just the pure mysticism and the the weeping willows or was there was there more to it when i when i came to my friend andrew starlow who's produced all the Big Thief records um, with the idea of producing my, this solo record. He he said he'd do it, but only if we did it in New Orleans in July in the hottest time of year. <laughs> oh, so you were like, I didn't, I, you're like, guys, I didn't have a choice. He said, you I didn't have a here, choice. I'm not doing it. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think that part of his, 
his pull to that place was just the the heat itself. Like the New Orleans is an incredibly humid place. It's the the heat is is two hundred percent more intense than it would be uh, in the desert because it's like a hundred percent. It's humid. like a yin yang twin song. Yeah, and and something about that I think drew Sarlo to record there because it it so it just kind of boils your your self consciousness completely away and. Um, you're just sweating. There's like this inherent catharsis to being in New Orleans in the summertime, which I think is part of that city's identity. It's just like everybody is so hot. They just have to be, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's, yeah, it's catharsis. Oh. And so, yeah, that was one, one way, one reason we recorded there, I think. Well, I've always felt like that about the desert, like whenever I go to Palm Springs or something like that. When, when, it's, when it's so hot and everyone is just in survival mode, everyone is a little bit kinder to each other because we're all just trying to get through it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you like working in an environment like that, or yeah, I, l- I love it, Jason. This guy, this guy hates this guy hates wearing shirts, dude. He's he yeah. loved it. He <laughs> was he didn't wear a shirt for three months. He he was pissed. He had to put one back on. He didn't want to get on the it's plane. True. I also love air conditioning. I, like the, <laughs> the sound of an air conditioning like humming is so soothing to me. Having grown up in Texas, yeah, like an old window unit, you know, window fan. Mm-hmm. I find I find that I growing up in Atlanta because the Atlanta weather is similar to New Orleans. It's just brutal summer. Like oh, the, yeah. the humidity is so bad. But I agree. Like when I moved to New York and had to like get an air conditioner, I was like, "What do you mean I have to get an air conditioner?" I thought these came with the house. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah, know this was a, sure. I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> but air conditioning is a they don't love it in California. You might not need it up there though. I don't need it here. But yeah, one of my you know when you put your head like in a window unit and it's just blasting ice cold air on your face and it has that very mm-hmm. particular smell mm-hmm. i don't know what that smell is but like that is a uh, harmful chemical known as freon <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. The, the essence of puts freon a little hair on your chest boy it's uh oh, it's such a such a nostalgic feeling mm-hmm. for me one of my favorite feelings when you were in new orleans did you come down there with the songs like baked or was it like we got to work on these a little bit in the stew i i all the songs were finished um on my end but the band had played very few of them. We, we had gone on a tour and played a handful of them um, a little bit, but yeah, the idea was to kind of throw the songs at the band and have them react um, and cool. try to capture as many of the first reactions and the first takes as we could. Um, mm. And through all of my experiences recording together with Andrew Sarlo and Big Thief, we've kind of learned that often the first take or second take of a song has like this vitality that you lose as soon as you start repeating it and trying to perfect it, you know? Mm, and mm-hmm. of course we spent whole days in the Big Thief sessions trying to like hone in on this perfect version of a song, exhausting ourselves, and then we'll just return to the first take and realize like, oh, we had it mm-hmm. the first time we played it, even if it's messy, you know? Yeah, we do this um, podcast in one take as well, so I get the vibes. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, sure. we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm... We do our ad-libs, of course. But, you know, the yeah, we have, to, we have to go yeah. back in and record. But did you... Did, are those vocals on your album? Is that all you? Are you singing the harmonies? No, that's all. That's my band singing harmonies. I, I think I may have contributed a harmony on one or two of them, but I think it was almost all Matt Davidson and Adam Brisbane singing harmonies. When did you start singing, though? Because I feel like, I mean, your voice is, is I, I really like it, and it's really, really original, and I feel like that's something mm. you might not have been comfortable with as a youngster. I actually remember vividly, like... The, I would go on really long road trips with my dad as a kid. He's a glass sculptor, and he would deliver sculptures to New Mexico and Colorado like once a year, or and to Florida. And I would often travel with him, and and he was just always with you know working the radio. And he had a bunch of old tapes, like Steve Miller tapes, and U two and all this stuff. And I remember really vividly just like sitting in the passenger seat for you know twelve hours at a time crossing the desert, and just singing along with all of these tapes and. 
to the point where he couldn't even hear me because the stereo was so loud and the windows were down. I was just kind of in the corner, like just feeling the vibrations in my chest, you know, um, not even really hearing my own voice, but just kind of working, you know, with the vibrations, singing along with all these old classic songs and, um, and probably like experiencing harmony singing even then, you know, doubling the melody maybe, but also just kind of winging it. I had no idea what I was doing. And yeah, that, that was, that's my first memory of like coming into touch with my own voice. Speaking of competitions, you said your dad is in the glass blowing world. Are you guys loving Blown Away season two? How does he feel about that? Oh, I never seen. Are it. you a member of the glass blowing community as well? My dad's actually a different kind of glass artist. He oh. he works with broken glass. He like smashes big plates of glass with hammers and then fuses them back together with like a laminate. Creates these like huge sculptures of of broken glass. And he does slump glass in kilns sometimes as well, but he doesn't blow glass with with the tubes so you he'd be known as a gall, a glass sculptor is that what you said yeah okay bill meek is his name so cool bill i haven't seen meek. that show though i'll check it out yeah check out bill meek studio and gallery so you guys have a very artistic family is what it sounds like yeah in some ways for sure my mom was a child psychologist um and but and but yeah my grandparents are both uh literature professors english literature mm-hmm. professors and my grand my grandfather on the other side was a clarinet player who also worked for nasa and stuff so yeah a lot of like a lot of, a lot of music and a lot of literature growing mm. up with my family and this was in texas in texas yeah what do you think about everyone moving to texas nowadays texas is beautiful heaven on earth <laughs> yeah but i mean you know all these all these california liberal cucks coming down there setting <laughs> yeah. up their whole foods is an Arowans. Yeah, you don't want these neoliberal podcasters opening an Erewhon on the ranch. You don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually, I think what what most people don't realize about Texas is that there's this really deep, beautiful dichotomy there. Like when, when you really go out mm-hmm. into the hill country around Austin, there's this hilarious spectrum of, of hillbillies and hippies and like, w- and really wild poets and artists and and, and also just people who maybe our ranchers, but are also the greatest poet you've ever heard in your life, just in the way they speak, you know? And uh, I don't know, th- there's a festival out there called the Kerrville Folk Festival that I've been going to since I was 15, out in Kerrville, um, like three hours west of Austin in the Hill Country. And it's 18 days long, and it's just this gathering of songwriters from around the state. 18 days mostly. long? Yeah, it's like a little town that pops up on this ranch out in the middle of nowhere. And it's most there's, there's a stage, but it's mostly a campground where songwriters gather to share their songs around campfires for like, 18 days straight and uh and it's this really beautiful cross-section of what texas is to me which is like a lot of these really old time salt of the earth people that come out of the woodwork from their ranches and you know their masonry jobs and their you know their carpentry businesses and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um who just happen to have the most beautiful songs you've ever heard in your life you know and and then they're sitting around the campfire with these these hippies who come down from oregon all these old timers from california and 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 then a lot of these old songwriters from Austin from the 60s and 70s, like the real outlaw songwriters and, mm. and mm-hmm. that, that whole cloth, you know, um, the more like esoteric side of, of country music, they're all there. And just every, every aspect of, of uh, the dynamic is represented there and everyone's getting along, you know, they, they put their mm-hmm. politics aside and they just sit together and, and share their stories. I don't know, that's what Texas is to me. I think there's space for everybody. Beautiful. So 18 days, you, yes. when you go to this, are you there for the whole 18 days? Do you set up camp? Like, how does it work? Yeah, ideally. Most, I've, I've been almost every year since I was 15, and 
I try to stay for all three weeks if I can. There's been there's been plenty of times where I had to skip out on tour or something, but mm-hmm. I try to. Yeah, I set up camp. There's a there's a bunch of camps around the ranch. There's one in particular at the top of the hill called Crow's Nest. That's kind of uh, this. My my friend Brian Cutian has held court there since 1972 or so. <laughs> and uh, he lights the fire every night and and kind of holds the song circle there. And yeah, I just mm-hmm. park my truck there and sleep in the bed. Damn. So then, and then you just wake up, you rustle up some grub on the fire, and then you just start playing music for hours and hours. And then, you know, the, yeah, you kind of, Mason, the Mason jar full of moonshine comes out and we start telling some stories. Yeah. It's kind of backward. It's upside. Like your day starts around sunrise. And, uh, yeah, you just sit around the campfire and share songs until sunrise. Did I say your day starts at sunrise? Or your day starts at sunset, and you sit around the camp, you know, mm. and share songs until sunrise. And then it, you sleep for a couple hours, and then the sun wakes you up in your tent, and it's so hot you can't even think. And you go to the river and sleep at the river the whole day. This sound. This is cool. Yeah, I, I had no idea that existed. I'd never heard of that before. It's really interesting. I mean, it seems it's a great place. It seems almost like a personal challenge in some ways, like the. the <laughs> The physicality of it. Just what you described sounds like physically challenging in some ways. It takes a few days to transition. The first few days are really weird. Um, you go through yeah withdrawals. But once you sink into that that dynamic, though, mm-hmm. it's actually really, really easy. And the, the rivers in Texas are really special. There's these spring-fed rivers and creeks throughout the hill country that come from this aquifer. Uh, the water's just crystal clear. And it's always 72 degrees or so year-round. And there's these huge bald cypress trees on the banks that are super shady and grassy banks. And um it's like white limestone so it's just these emerald rivers with this really deep shade and it's um even in the the heat of the summer if you're under those cypress trees it's really cool and comfortable so you just you know find a spot and rest for the day buck they don't make them like you anymore you know that here i am they really don't i mean what what is your (laughs) what is your relationship to technology Like, like i you know i'm a guy who's on my phone all fucking day i'm on my computer all day i mean partly because of my job partly because my brain is broken I feel like you're a guy who's really not checking the the mentions very often. Oh, I go in and out of it. I mean, it's highly it's 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 impossible to avoid. I, I think I try to put myself in situations where I don't have access to it. Like I do go out into the desert where there's really no phone service whatsoever. I try to get out there as much as possible. And for instance, when I surf, one thing I really appreciate about surfing is that you can't bring your phone with you, so it kind of forces you into this purity and mm-hmm. um but at the same time, yeah, I mean, I'm a product of, of this modern age for sure. And I, especially as a musician, I have to be, that's, that's how I maintain my community and how I maintain my, my work to a certain degree is, is through that digital communication. So um, I have to accept it and try to just maintain a healthy relationship with it if possible. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a healthy attitude. But I mean, what is also, you know, what is, what's your relationship to the music business? You know, like I think that, um, it's it's the nature of the beast and you guys have been with big thieves particularly like very successful do you find it like the gauntlet or are you just enjoying it and kind of making your own way well i think i've been really blessed in so many ways and um but from the very beginning of performing my songs and my music for whatever reason i I think i fell into a a community of people who really put the music first like with adrian linker and james grimshidney and max learchick and then my own band and Matt Davidson of Twain and Andrew Sarlo and my friends like Really Big Pinecone and the whole community that I came from in New York City specifically, um, they they put the music first. They really put the music first. And then I think that I've observed that like that opens doors that you could never predict. 
um, and you could you could never synthesize like you, you. And I think that when you really put the music first and you believe in it, like opportunities appear because basically people who who resonate with whatever you're doing, who who have some kind of opportunity, they, they'll just give it to you because they love you. You know, it, it's like just a mm. yeah, a collective of friendship and and so I I don't know I I learned that very quickly and set the intention to like never compromise the music because I think it's actually really backwards and ends up shooting yourself in the foot when you do try to put the business first. I would agree. I think it's very difficult. I mean, I just you know I I think that um like I said, you guys are in an interesting position just based on the success and what the music sounds like and the kind of people that you are, it's, it sounds like it's kind of this perfect storm of, of being able to handle it with kind of a positive outlook and like knowing what makes sense, because I do think it's very mm-hmm. easy to get lost in the sauce as they say. Yeah. You have to really build it from the ground up. I mean, I, I, with, 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 with our business and our team, like from the very first person we ever worked with, we were really upfront with him that we were never going to compromise the music for, for, for a business decision, you know, like, and we were very transparent about that with every single person we added to our circle, to our inner circle, mm-hmm. you know. And we were really careful to find people that we trusted on a deep level that could that that believed in that philosophy and and could represent it for us, you know, in, in the world mm-hmm. and project that outwards. And and we made some mistakes along the way. We had to, you know, we had to navigate the process. But like now, I think we've built a whole team of people that that are on the same page with that, and they can bring it forward into the the world of business. And yeah, and I think that holds a pretty pure headspace no that's what it feels like and that's what i'm saying though i think when i watch you guys when i see these clips on youtube or whatever and you guys look happy i think that's part of it you know what i mean i think it's because it's like you know you're doing this for the right reasons and that kind of shines through um while you're on stage which is um something that that i think people are drawn to beyond the music itself you know i mean i think yeah i think that's one of the things that people are drawn to for sure because yeah it shines through it's just honest. Have you have you guys have you played have you guys played some wild ass festivals for like an amount of people that like shook you? We've played some pretty big crowds for sure. But honestly, I think for us it's much more intense to play smaller shows, you know. Um Yeah. Yeah. I mean it feels personal. The hardest shows or the, the most intense vulnerable shows we've ever played have been to like, you know, ten or fifteen people, you mm-hmm. know, with, with like our families in the audience or people that we yeah. when we have relationships with and there's like this element of empathy there and that mm. whenever it's just like a big crowd it becomes like this it's, it's i don't know something else more more impersonal not necessarily impersonal it's also a communion for sure and it can be really direct um mm-hmm. but it's easier to kind of maintain your center with at least it's easier for me to maintain my center and my own identity on stage and like project that into the into a big audience than when i'm whenever i'm in a small room with especially with people who i know my mind is just constantly flying between all of these different relations all the different venn diagrams and you know <laughs> of, of my relationships with those people yeah know? yeah yeah you can't you can't lose yourself in the licks is what you're saying yeah because you know we we're our spirits kind of adapt to whoever we're with you know like mm-hmm. I, my spirit is different when i'm with my my old you know one of my oldest friends paul than when i'm with someone who who i've met in the last few years and when i'm with my mom or my part like yeah mm-hmm. different aspects of ourselves come out and um Whenever you put all those different people in a room all together, um, it can be hard to navigate like who you are, basically. Yeah, it's pretty intense music. <laughs> pretty direct. <laughs> so it's pretty intense. It's uh, it's pretty direct. You know what I mean? It's pretty yeah. intense. It's pretty direct. I would agree. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I saw, I think that, that, that 
there's there's a video I've seen a few times you guys doing like a radio show and one of the comments said like this song makes me I I both want to cry and want to smile at the same time and I was like that uh-huh. that to me like perfectly mm. describes this song and this music in a lot of ways which I think is a a high compliment that I haven't really seen paid that that many times. Mhm. Oh, that's cool. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, do you do you I mean, you know, to that to that note, do you guys feel you know, a responsibility or a relationship with your fans who latch on to your, your music and your lyrics with such power that it, you know, it's changing people's lives. It's, it's saving them. Like, how does that feel? Hmm. That's a big one. Yeah. Take your time. I edit the podcast, so you don't have to, (laughs) you don't have to feel like you got to have the perfect answer off the top of your head. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that means a lot to me when whenever my or our music, you know, um helps someone or yeah, makes an impact on their life for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time I think it's it's important for me to also just maintain um the process of of really like making the music for ourselves and try not to put too much energy into that into like trying to help people or save people because you really can't Mm-hmm. You you, yeah. you have no idea what people are going through, um, and I think it's I don't know I, I I find it to be more valuable to just try to like help ourselves through writing this music to try to heal ourselves and like come into mm-hmm. our own self awareness and um and come in, yeah come into tune with our with our own process through our music and then just trust that that may help people uh in you know that's, in, yeah, that seems in like response. a great way to look at it yeah. You're showing showing them an example of how you're doing it, how you're healing. Yeah, and they can learn learn a thing or two from you. Sure, it's great, Buck. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you today. Um, Likewise. But, so, just to get the the listeners situated, um, your album Two Saviors is in stores now. Um, what what's going on? Is Big Thief in the studio? Are you in the studio? Is music being made? What's the plan? Yeah, Big Thief actually was was in the studio a lot this year. Um, we made a bunch of new music and and I'm working on a lot of new songs for my my next solo record but what I'm most excited about right now is that my my friend just built this website called the school of song.org and I'm going to teach songwriting and guitar lessons like group songwriting and guitar lessons through this website in March and April um oh, and so I've been, I've been cool. working really really hard on those syllabus That's great. And, uh, I was going to ask when you were talking you know with such reverence about your professors at Berkeley I was like I feel like this guy is going to He's got the teaching bug in him a little bit as well. Yeah, if anything, I just want to help people like unlock their own power. You know, I I, I just I feel like I could I want to help people learn how to teach themselves. I guess, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so I'm I'm really excited about that. It's gonna it's a really cool format for for te- for for com- like building community. What's the What's the website again? TheSchoolOfSong.org. My my friend Stephen Van Betten of the band Fellrunner and Keedy Band here in L.A., which are both badass bands, built this website with his friend Blue and and he's yeah. He, the idea is to bring in real like touring musicians and songwriters to teach these group lessons. So like my friend Molly Sarley is teaching a course in a week of the band Mountain Man. And, mm-hmm. and I believe my friend Jolie Holland is going to teach one songwriter, Jolie Holland. And, um, and who knows who else we're going to, we're going to like bring in people from our community to, to teach these workshops, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I yeah. can't, I can't wait to learn to shred with, with Buck Meek. That's like, that's, that's yeah, what yeah. I need to do. Mar- March and April, I'm finally going to learn to play guitar. Thank you for the push. Um, for sure. 
Yeah, the master class on the six string bass. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an extra two hundred bucks, but we can figure it out. Um, <laughs> no, thank you, uh, thank you for joining us. Honestly, it was a pleasure. We're both big fans of the music, and and um, you know, keep keep making it because, and we'll keep listening. All right, homies. Cheers. Thanks for all the thoughtful questions. You too. Peace. Peace. Adios. God bless you, brother. Thank you.